Hey friends, if you are new here, this is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. My name is Katie and I am your host and we are taking a break over the summer, but I am interrupting this break because this baby podcast is having its birthday today. It is two years old and I thought what better way to celebrate than by sharing some clips of our most downloaded episodes. So I'm going to share five clips of the five top downloaded of all time. So from the very beginning to recently, now we have had a surge of new listeners, like the little graph of downloads has just shot up in recent months. So several of these are going to be more recent episodes, but there are a few from back in the archives. So if you hear something you want to know more, I'm going to do the episode number so you can go back and get some more. But either way, I'm so excited you're here and I cannot wait to share these clips with you. Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I was your typical heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who looked for love in boys, Bacardi, and did I mention boys? After the breakup that broke me, I met the only man who can truly fulfill me. His name is Jesus. Shortly after that, I met my husband, the best example I have met of Jesus on this earth. Today, I have never been more sure I am right where I'm supposed to be on a mission to help today's young women find their life calling, stop dating dirtbags, and basically just be who I needed when I was younger. I've been called a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Okay, our fifth most downloaded episode of all time is episode 47, and this is my interview with Dr. Joe Malone. If you follow around here, I've actually done several projects with Dr. Joe, super brilliant guy, used to have weekly calls with him, learned a ton. One fun fact I learned from him actually led to a viral video, so he's going to unpack all of that and more on this episode. Here we go, how men and women bond differently through sex. Uh, For five years, I taught all women's, all college women classes. And then from that, the um, sorority women I had in my classes asked me to start coming to their sororities and speaking. And in the midst of it, in the midst of talking to them, I realized hookup culture on the college campus. I mean, in some of these interviews and some of these, you know, focus groups, that was, that was the topic of conversation, how they were being wrecked basically emotionally. And, um, heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak and that was one of the biggest outcomes of the class so that that made me realize eventually and kind of right in the middle of my phd work that it wasn't so much their traditional health and wellness i needed to be worried about the biggest challenge for them was their sexual um health and wellness how does sex affect women differently than it does men well okay again excellent question (laughs) this is really at the heart of what i hope young women can start to really understand sex uh, with young women there's neurochemicals the biochemicals dopamine estrogen and basically uh for women oxytocin and oxytocin is the the bonding chemical you probably most of you young ladies have heard of it before well it is all those are really um charged hypercharged by having a sexual uh, encounter with a guy, especially intercourse. A young woman that has intercourse with a young, a young man will have a strong tendency to uh, bond with that young man, whether they're calling it a hookup, whatever they're calling it. On the other hand, young men who have uh, intercourse with a young woman 
basically uh, the bonding chemical for young men is vasopressin. And it's a bit different than oxytocin. It's similar, but it's a bit different in a crucial way. Because if they have sex, and especially if he has an orgasm, which happens most of the time, this vasopressin buildup, which is the bonding chemical for the, for the guys, uh, just goes, it just drops like a rock. The way the vasopressin builds up, again, this is the male bonding chemical. And this has only been discovered in the last maybe five, seven years. So this is really the news I want to get out there <laughs> to the girls. Vasopressin, if this male is held off, because it's this will work from you know any any male from puberty up. If sex is denied them and they feel this attraction to this girl, that vasopressin just keeps building up in their system. Old school calling culture, old school romance culture or dating culture, like we used to call it. If it's that kind of situation, the vasopressin will continue to build up. And that's important because in his brain, literally vasopressin receptors are being created. Mm -hmm. So they aren't there to begin with. But if this attraction goes on, if there's this romance, you know, kind of like you see in a a romance movie type of a a situation uh, where sex is not, you know, uh, taken part in, the romance creates the vasopressin in his brain the vasopressin creates the receptors for it in his brain eventually he is bonded to her you know she becomes his woman so to speak he becomes hopefully his fiance she becomes hopefully his his wife that's the way it's supposed to work and that's the way it's worked in the past but with girls and women being pushed towards this hookup culture and being told that that they naturally want to go have sex like the guys do, that, that there are no biological sex differences. It's all just what society tells us. It's just socially constructed. They're being pushed into this unnatural situation where there's all these uh, depression and cutting and uh, women, you know, uh, having all these downer downer situations after these hookups uh, where especially where intercourse has taken place where they've bonded and where the guy hasn't there are species that are designed and i believe by god but this is all scientific so i did this research all scientifically outside of my christian belief system but there are species designed by god uh, to be promiscuous one of them is chimpanzees and Basically, you know, their bodies are, are, are made for it. I mean, you can look at, literally look at their bodies and look at our bodies and see that we're designed for monogamy and they're designed for promiscuity. Quick question. I just want to sum up. I love everything you're saying. And I want to kind of reiterate in the third grade terms that I that perhaps. So, um, okay, vasopressin is the bonding chemical for men and that grows more and more if sex is withheld. So in a dating relationship, the longer they date, he is more and more bonded and connected to this female. Is that correct? Almost. It, it, it does keep the levels high. He's around this woman. He, he is attracted to, he loves being around her. You know how that is being yeah. in love, infatuated and that type of thing. It creates receptors in his brain for the bonding for the chemical it actually be able to go there and kind of lock as they call it they lock in and once that happens once that both the receptors are there and the vasopressin is remains high because he's he's around this woman he's attracted to that's when he bonds to her so the 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 receptors are what take a while to to build up with women it's it's much quicker with oxytocin 
Oh, so interesting, right? Well, that is episode 47. If you want to learn more, tons of great information there. Our next fourth most popular downloaded episode of all times is episode 29. And this actually won the most popular episode of 2020. So last year we shared this is the most popular of all time. It is now number four in the ranking. And I've shared this clip before if you've been around here a while, but it's so good and it's worth a re-listen. Here we go. Episode 29, my interview with a former Miss Texas and a former Major League Baseball star. They were both publicly ridiculed for their decision to wait for marriage, but they stood strong and they share all about it here on this episode. And it's so good. Like we both grew up in Texas, right? Like, and it, around a ch- going to church every week and around people where waiting for marriage is just like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, that's your choice. But when I went to LA, it was kind of the first time that I was put in an area where not everyone thought the same about religion or faith. Maybe they don't even believe in God. Maybe they think it's ridiculous. And I remember one of the producers was like, wait, have you ever dated before? If you've never like had sex or I I don't get it. Like, do you go out with guys? They like look at you. It's like alien talk. Right. And I just, for that was the first time I remember, I remember that moment and still visualize it in my head where it was like, okay, this is a moment where you either kind of say to yourself, no, this is what I believe and I'm not going to be ashamed or you're going to kind of just water the message down. Right. Like I had that moment and it was, you know, embarrassing for like 0.5 seconds. I was like, Oh my gosh. Then I thought, you know what? No, like this is what I believe. And I really, it was amazing. Just the support that moment happened when there was a live audience, when I was kind of questioned about my stance and, you know, I, it was kind of mixed to be honest, but there was overall people were like, wow, you know, we, we really respect that. That's your stance, but it was definitely weird to be in a situation, which I think we can all face this, right. Where maybe we grow up in a certain home or environment, but if you're put in a completely new environment, I think that's really moments for personal growth and also just awareness and ways that we can say like, I believe this because of this. It's not just kind of like, oh, I believe this because this is what like I grew up in. So it was very interesting. And I think Carson's had experiences with his faith and wait, you know, talking about waiting in unique ways too, because he was around people that didn't grow up in the same environment as he did as well. So I think we both have kind of had those experiences. Yeah, Carson, I know that you, you've also waited to marriage and you guys just have such a beautiful story, but tell us why you came to that decision and, you know, similar upbringing, um, pressures, all that kind of stuff that you faced. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of wide ranging. Um, so I'll start with, I'll start with why, why I think I started to kind of, um, develop the, the beliefs that I did. And, and again, that brings me back to growing up in a little private Christian school where of course, when you're in like fifth and sixth grade, that's probably, you know, when conversations about, um, relationships and opposite sex start to happen. And I, I remember very vividly a gentleman coming to speak at our high school or high school, but, um, I was in elementary or middle school at the time. And I remember him just being a, a very vibrant speaker, a very passionate guy. And he just straight up called out men. And he was like, you know what? 
He was like, I don't, I don't understand what our culture thinks of as masculinity now. He's like, I don't, I don't understand why guys think that going out and conquering women is what makes you a man. And like flexing your muscles on people is what makes you a man. He's like, I don't, I don't get it. He's like, you know what? Dogs run around and have sex with each other. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make you a man at all. It makes you an animal, if anything, like that, that has nothing to do with what makes you human. And so I was like, whoa, okay. That's, it kind of hit me and made me think like, okay, you know what? That's, that's right. And, um, like what does make us special? Like what makes being a man special? And so as a, as a little kid, it kind of planted a seed in me. And then as I, as I got older and kind of got to put that into more context and kind of started thinking, okay, like, well, well, what does, what does make a man then? And so I kind of just probably from formulating it from a bunch of other people that are way smarter than I am and just decided that, you know what, I think one of the things that makes a man is um, refraining from causing harm to people when you're capable of it. And I think, I think that can take a lot of forms. Um, it can take physical form. Um, I think, I think it takes, I think it's a much more manly decision to refrain from physically hurting somebody than actually, you know, being that bully or being the, the bigger athlete that hits somebody and everybody's like literally afraid of. I don't think that makes anybody a man at all. I think if anything, that makes people insecure and cowardly. But, but anyway, so it can take physical form or it can take emotional form or verbal form. So I kind of took that idea of refraining from causing harm into how I'd approach dating. And so actually, I don't believe I took a girl on more than three dates other than Angela. Um, so I never really had a girlfriend um, until <laughs> until I was like 28. Which I was like, wait, what? Are you crazy behind the scenes? Like, you've never had a girlfriend. <laughs> but now that I know him, I totally it totally makes sense. But at first, I thought that was bizarre. Yeah, she totally thought I was lying on her first date. And I don't think she really, I don't think she really believed what I was saying or who I was for about five months either. Yeah. I was like, are you a closet psycho? I don't know. Hold on. Yeah. I think, I think in our relationship, I told her that I didn't have doubts about her within gosh, like two months or less. And well, what happened is we're at New Year's and I was like being cute at midnight. I was like, what's your resolution? He's like to be engaged. (gasps) And that was after two months. And I was like, wait, to me? (laughs) And I was like, "Uh uh-uh. After like five months, he's like, are you waiting for me to do something crazy? And I was like, yes. Like, this is too good to be true here. But I was like, babe, we can just sit here and just wait for the calendar to pass. But like, nothing's going to change. So... (laughs) This is adorable. Y'all are the best. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, and so I guess I'll I'll fast forward to um to getting into the um professional baseball world. And uh, obviously that's kind of when I was kind of released into the wild, I guess you could say, from going from a tiny little private Christian school to going to a situation where you're around a bunch of ego-driven young guys that have been successful to this point in their life. And a lot of them were just given a ton of money. And so you do have kind of this like perfect concoction of just terrible, egotistic 
behavior that's kind of unruly. And um, so that was kind of a, a wake up call, I guess, um, being exposed to all that. And I think I was just fortunate enough to have a, a very strong background um, in my faith and kind of understand what I wanted long term. And I, so, yes, it was getting exposed to it for the first time, but it really wasn't um, anything that was going to change my uh, opinions. And it, it actually kind of helped me develop, I guess, a, a reason for why I, I wanted to wait for marriage other than um, just biblical reasons. Because when you're in an environment like that, when guys are um, very arrogant and from all over the world and think that they're the answer to everything, um, nobody, if you present them an argument that's biblically based, nobody, nobody cares. It's automatically like shut off. They don't listen to it at all. But when you explain to them that, okay, yes, I came from a broken home. My parents were divorced in middle school and I wanted to do everything that I possibly could to experience everything with one woman. And, uh, whether that's different aspects of dating, physical aspects, um, emotional commitments, those types of things. When I told him that I, I wanted to fully commit as much as I could to one person and wanted to have, um, as strong a marriage as possible. And then they're like, okay, you know, I, I kind of get that. I respect that. They go from dude, you're weird to, okay, no, I, I respect that. Um, so it actually kind of made me formulate, I guess, better understanding of, of why I believed what I did and other angles of communicating it to people. So it was actually, actually probably helpful. And then I I think another part of your question was like, were you ever ridiculed, whatever? I think one interesting story, this is probably something that not many people know, but, um, when you go from the minor leagues and get called up to the big leagues on your first road trip when you go from the airport to the hotel you're on the team bus and it's a tradition that basically you go through a rookie initiation and the veterans call you up to the front of the bus they give you the mic and then either one two or a few of the veterans just drill you with questions and you have to answer embarrassing questions up at the front of the bus you have to sing songs and tell jokes this is like initiation to a fraternity (laughs) yeah exactly i mean it's it's not tough but they just try to make it fun and it's never really harmful to anybody anyway of course one of the first couple questions is all right tell us about your first experience having sex and i was like oh i was like well y'all are gonna hate me for this said what you want to hear but uh, I decided to wait for marriage and they're like, ah, okay. Like how long you've been married? And I was like, uh, I'm single. And they're like, what? <laughs> hold on. <laughs> he said the and, whole bus went nuts. And so the guy asking the questions goes, hold on, hold on. So you're telling me you're, you're a virgin. And I was just like, yeah. And everybody just stood up and everybody had drinks and everybody stood up and just started screaming F you F that started throwing stuff at me, anything that they had like food or drinks, whatever it was like, it was literally like the, the movie where you see somebody on stage at a nightclub and they're doing some kind of comedy routine and everybody boos them and throws drinks at them. Um, it was, it was literally like that on a bus. And so I, I had just gotten called up to join this team and um, that was kind of my first experience speaking in front of the team but i don't know it was expected it wasn't it wasn't a big deal 
And it, I mean, it didn't didn't hurt in any way. It was kind of like, okay, whatever. Everybody knows now, and this is cool. It's it's over with. But what was cool was when I was walking all the way back to the back of the bus where the young guys have to sit. I sat down, and one guy that was uh, seated like one seat back from me, he was like, "Hey, man." He was like, I had to do the same thing like two years ago. He was like, I waited and um, he told me his story and um, it was it was really cool. Like nobody really stands up to say that out loud. But when I went went back and sat down, he was like, "Okay, you know what? I did the same thing. And then um, the next day when we're stretching before practice, one of the veterans that's there was a really well-respected guy on the team uh, came up to me and he was like, Hey man, he's like, I'm proud of you. I did the same thing. Wow. Uh, so it was cool. There were there were actually like three guys that I knew of on on that roster that had made that same decision to wait for marriage. And it's just it's something that people don't speak out about much. Yeah. So if you were to ask me if 10% of guys in the MLB waited for marriage, I would have said absolutely not. Um, but on our team it was. So it, it's not as as rare as people think. Um, so if you're out there like, oh my gosh, do, do those people exist? Like if a young girl sitting there going like, do guys like that exist? Well, there were three on my team of 30 people. So it's not that, it's not that uncommon as we might think. And those are the jewels. Those are, you know, when we save ourselves, it's more rare and it's more, more sacred, you know? And I think it's such a beautiful thing. And, um, when you were talking about, you know, that you hadn't dated before. It made me think how all the time I talk to young women about how we want to be seen. Every girl wants to be seen. And Carson, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume guys as well. But women want to be seen as their their guys one and only. Like I am the definition of beauty for you. I am like, I am your girl. And no one wants to be compared, you know, well, she's prettier than my ex or she's smarter or she's not as whatever. You don't want to be compared to a bunch of ex-lovers, but we somehow get it wrong in our brain and people think they have to have lots of experience quote. You know, I always say when I do my talk to sororities, I say, no one wants to hear, Hey babe, I'm a sex expert. (laughs) Like gross. Like there's, there's no prizes for that. But what is a million times more attractive is I've like gone through people throwing stuff at me on the bus. I've gone through temptation and I want all of me for all of you. Like that is like the ultimate in romance. And I cannot wait to see pictures of your wedding day. (laughs) Funny story. Angela and Carson actually had a little elopement because they, their wedding was in the middle of COVID and they delayed it a little bit. And then a year later had a reception. So since then I've got to see the actual real life pictures and Angela and I have been able to stay in touch. We encourage each other through social media and it's just so cool to get to know her through since that episode. And, um, gosh, just love them so much. Again, that is episode 29. Okay, before we get into the next episode, I want to tell exclusively to my Truth For Your 20s listeners, friends, Heartbreak to Happily Ever After course is back and better than ever. So I did this as a live teaching before and was able to get feedback from everyone, did a little bit more research, and I'm launching again the Heartbreak to Happily Ever After course, but this time it is pre-recorded so you can watch and listen and digest this on your own timing. This is four modules. We talk about healing from heartbreak, making the most of your single life, following in like, chemistry, infatuation, all of that good stuff, and then 17 things I've learned in 17 
years of marriage. So it's four different parts. You can digest it all at once or just kind of take it whenever you want to, but it does not even go live until July 14th. However, I'm telling you now because between now and the 14th, you can get $10 off by using promo code EARLYBIRD. So the best way to do this is to check me out on Instagram and that's at Katie Bulmer Life. And that link in profile has all that you need, the discount code and all the good stuff. And that little link that says heartbreak to happily ever after. I'm just so excited. I put my heart and soul into this course and I really think it's going to help some current and future relationships. So yay. Okay. Back to the episode. Okay, next up, we have a little bit more recent episode. This is number 70 with Deborah Fietta. I absolutely adore this woman. I have to, I said this on the episode, but I have to hold myself back from not sharing like everything she posts on social media. She is a counselor of relationships, and this is how to know if you are relationship ready based on her new book, All About It. And you guys obviously love this episode. Here is number three of all time. Relationship counselor Deborah Fietta. Here we go. If I was 20 and I'm looking to date and I'm looking to do this thing well, can you give me some suggestions of how to date with boundaries, physical boundaries, and all the things? Can you just help help the girls listening out there when it comes to this tricky world of sex? Yeah, for sure. It is extremely tricky because these days people expect it to be the norm. Like there's this like underlying expectation that culture has kind of set us up that sex is part of the equation of a relationship. And here's the thing. Sex is powerful. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I really believe that the reason a lot of times we in, in church specifically, we always tell young people to not have sex. We always tell them to save sex for marriage. And that's really important. But sometimes we don't talk about the why. Like yeah. why? Why do we save sex for marriage? Yes, because God says. But why does God say? Well, because he knows everything. And psychologically speaking, sex is powerful. When when you're engaging in sex, there is a hormone being released from your body. It's the same hormone that's released when you're nursing your baby, right? It's called oxytocin and it's released in your bloodstream and it sends these feel good chemicals to your brain that kind of give you a high and give you this connection with the person that you're with. So when a mother is nursing her baby, oxytocin is released and she feels this bond. It's called the bonding chemical. It's released to your brain. It makes you feel a connection towards this person. But oxytocin is released another time too. Oxytocin is released when we're having sex, when we're engaging in sexual activity, not just intercourse, but things leading up to intercourse as well. So all of a sudden, your body is sending these chemicals to your brain that is telling you that this is a person you need to bind with, connect to, bond to. This emotional connection is happening. It's getting imprinted in your brain. And so that's a beautiful thing when you're in marriage. You know, sex can be powerful. It can connect you to someone. Sex can even bring healing to broken things. Like one of my favorite analogies um, that I read in a book, um, and I, I forget the name. I, I cite it in True Love Dates, and I talk about this analogy. It's called the steam pipe analogy. But basically, it's the idea that you know, if you have a steam pipe and there's pressure 
passing back and forth through this steam pipe. Well, if if there's a crack in the steam pipe, it's going to release some of that pressure and you're going to see, oh, look, there's some pressure getting released. There's some steam coming. There must be a crack in the pipe. And so you'll get the pipe fixed. So sex is sort of like that. If you think of your relationship as that pipe, there's tension building up in a relationship because two people who are getting to know each other in dating, there's going to be tension, right? There's going to be conflict, arguments, tension, whatever. And whenever there's tension, if there's a crack in the relationship, you're going to see that tension getting released through the crack. Oh no, we're having an argument. Oh no, this is problematic. We need to fix this. But when you are prematurely releasing that pressure, so imagine you build a pressure valve in the bottom and that's sex and you release the pressure through having sex. Well, guess what? You're not going to be able to see the cracks anymore because now the pressure is getting released through the act of sex. And so maybe your steam pipe is full of cracks and there's cracks all over that thing. The, 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 the pipe is unhealthy. The relationship is unhealthy, but you are covering up those flaws and you're never going to see them because you're prematurely releasing the press, the pressure through the bonding healing act of sex. And you feel like you've got something really significant when what you actually have is a relationship full of cracks that you never saw because you never gave those cracks the opportunity to reveal themselves. And so that's why saving sex is important because you've got to really get to the heart of how healthy this relationship is before you integrate the act of sex because sex is powerful and sex is binding and sex is healing. But outside of the context of marriage, sex can hide flaws and bind you to a person that you were never meant to be bound to. And so we've got to really take it seriously. Okay, the countdown is on. Here we go. This is the second most downloaded of all time on the Truth For Your 20s podcast. The title of this is How to Love After You Have Been Hurt. Obviously, that title just was trigger worthy, right? And I think a lot of people were interested in this topic. So I interviewed Adam Weber. He is a pastor in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I joke, oh, wow, that means people actually live there. But Adam is hilarious and super relatable. And it had some really, really good truths to how to heal and how to love people when it's difficult. So episode number 56, how to love after you've been hurt perspective changes everything. Cause I, I have an older man. He, uh, he was a mentor of mine that passed away a few years ago named Roger Fredrickson, 93 years old. And every time I was around him, I felt like I was hanging out with a 20 year old in the best way. Like he just, he just had the softest heart, you know? And I'm like, here's a guy who's been through trials. He's lost his wife at this point. She passed away, experienced heartache. I'm like, how do you do this? And I think it's really a perspective thing. You know, if I was to ask anybody listening right now, who are the five people that have hurt you, wronged you, you feel just like you've been overlooked or, or walked on, I'm guessing we could list those names. You know, it's the names of the people that we've cursed out in our car when it's just been ourselves, when, you know, we see them on Facebook and we're like, gosh, I just kind of wish they'd fail. You know, like <sighs> we, th- we think horrible things. Like, I, like, honestly, like, I hope their marriage falls apart. I hope they get, I hope they get fired. Those are evil things to think, but we feel those. And the person who's like, I don't feel those things. Uh, lying is also wrong too. (laughs) But so we often think about those people, but what if we began to focus on the five people 
who have loved us so well. They showed up when nobody else showed up. They stuck by us when we were horrible people, yet they still loved us. They, they, they were generous to us. They got us a job interview when we did not like deserve that job interview at all. Who are those people? Because um, I think it's John Acuff who has always said, a thousand compliments plus one criticism equals one criticism. Yeah, And that's what we do with, with people who have hurt and wronged us. A thousand wonderful people plus one person who's wronged us equals one person who's wronged us. And I just, I think if we began to change our perspective, and so that's what God did with me. He just began to say, hey, Adam, I know you feel wronged right now and really hurt right now. But think about all the people who are still with you right now and have been there all, all throughout your life. And so that's what that's what began to change. And so in the, in, the, in the book, and I don't want to talk all about the book, but the book is the names of 27 people who have either loved me or I've tried to love them combined with someone similar that Jesus loved. And so it's these people all throughout my life who have just loved me well. And really through that process, I began, no joke, to heal. And I, I think it's all about perspective and who do you focus on. And in, within each person, there's something powerful that happens when you get to know their story. When that, that angry neighbor, when you find out they lost their wife to cancer, or you find out that they're battling alcoholism, it may not change anything that person says or does. They might continue to be a really hard neighbor, but all of a sudden you begin to feel compassion for them. Like, man, I heard it was his anniversary, and I'm guessing specifically today he's missing his wife. Um, and maybe we should go shovel their sidewalk. It's like, why are we shoveling his sidewalk? He's a mean old guy, and he doesn't like our kids when they step on his grass. But it, all of a sudden, you begin to be moved with compassion when you find out somebody's story. Oh, man. And isn't that so much more attractive? to the world than sitting around, well, they were grumpy to me and I don't deserve to like them. They don't deserve love, whatever it may be. And even if you're the most justified, okay, but what if you can see the good in them? Love has a name, as as the book says. That's amazing. <laughs> now we walk through like how to forgive and all that kind of stuff. But I just want to ask a final question. What does it look like to love after you've been hurt? <sighs> It's, uh, I'll say this, it's scary and it, and it takes stepping out, uh, knowing the risk that you might be hurt again. And there's, there's being wise. So there's boundaries and there's being like, okay, who, who do I want to let into the deepest parts of me? You know, I might want to use a little bit more, more, more wisdom and, and caution with that. But to not love again, like not even like I'm not talking dating, relationships, marriage, to not love people again, to not enter into relationship is a greater tragedy than being hurt. Yeah, it is. Like we are not meant to live life alone. We are meant to have relationship. And so I think for that person who's been hurt, and again, I felt three years ago, I really had this fork in the road moment of like, Adam, you can either become this jaded old person that you've never wanted to be, or you never thought you were, or you can allow me to heal you and, and bring you into this new, more wonderful season of life. And I just, I did not want to become that angry person. And so for, for me, it's going to take, it's going to take stepping out just little by little and dealing with your brokenness, dealing with your hurt in a wise way, whether it's counseling, bringing it to God, talking with friends, whatever, 
but I, w- I would just challenge you to not stay. Don't build up a concrete wall around you. Don't become this jaded, like defensive person. And that just takes one day at a time of I'm going to love somebody. And I think going into it, if you, if you have the assumption, I have no expectations of them. I don't expect them to kiss my butt, to give me something to be perfect. Like, I think just to go into it, like, nope, I'm just going to love, I'm just going to love people um, out of God's love, not my own. And, um, and that's, that's my part. Every single day, God helped me to go out of my way to find one person that I can love today. That would be my, my challenge to someone who's been hurt. And just one day at a time and just see, see God work in that and see God heal you through that, knowing that, hey, there's going to be someone who takes this the wrong way or someone who's upset with me or somebody who reminds me of my past. But I'm not living out of that. That's not my focus. I'm moving forward because I don't want to become this other person. Yes. And the lighter load. I'm picturing someone skipping on a sidewalk versus someone carrying a 20,000 pound backpack of, you know, anger and unforgiveness. Like, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to be skipping. I'd rather be skipping. Yes. And not even carrying a backpack, but like carrying a backpack while walking through like deep mud. Yes. Right. in the rain. Yeah, in the rain with a strong South Dakota wind behind it. Like I'm like I'm like, that seems like a miserable existence. And uh and we have we don't wanna we don't wanna go that route. That's not the life we wanna live. Yeah. I wanna skip in the sunshine. All right, here we are, the moment you've all been waiting for, the most downloaded episode since the Truth for Your Twenties podcast has been alive, and it is dun dun dun. Hollywood Marketing Sex and You. This was a solo episode I did. Based on my marketing background, I feel like I have a little bit of a unique perspective on how media and marketing plays with romance and the way we see dating. And it's, I have a lot to say about it. And I'm glad that you liked it. Our number one episode, it was number 55, and we called it Hollywood Marketing Sex and You. I remember seeing a commercial, a simple commercial. I wasn't even watching the show where a guy sits up in the bed, props his head on his hands, and he looks at the girl beside him. It's obviously like this morning after scene. And he says, what's your name again? And the audience laughs. So in that 10 second clip, I am taught casual sex is normal. Casual sex is laughable. It's not a big deal. And, but I'm taking a step back, looking at this thinking, were they really laughing? Because I know how they do these things. I used to work in commercials. It is all editing. They took a canned laughter soundtrack. Someone hit play after he said that, and it made it look like it was hilarious. No one was actually laughing, but the people in that made the script made it look like it was hilarious because of editing. Think about it this way. Okay, so the people that make movies, make commercials, make sitcoms, they come up with these ideas somewhere, right? So they all get together in this boardroom and it's like, what about this idea? And I hear that this is trending and I know that this is a popular topic. Uh, I seriously doubt ever in the history of ever has there been someone who stood up and said, hey, you know, I think that we should create a movie to help educate young men and women how to date healthy how to have a mutually beneficial and respectful relationship and walk into their first years of marriage well. Like, <laughs> they're, they're not thinking that. They're not bad people, but you know what they're thinking? They're thinking money, 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 money. I mean, they are thinking, okay, here, here's, this is simple marketing 101. 
If they come up with something risque, like Fifty Shades of Questionable Decisions, guess what? The press is going to be all over it, meaning they're going to get tons and tons of free advertising because they are pushing the envelope and they're like doing something scandalous. And so people are going to be talking about it. Meanwhile, the movie makers are laughing all the way to the bank because they're getting, they don't even have to buy the ads. The newspaper's doing articles on it. People are blogging about it. Everyone's talking about it and they don't even have to do any advertising. Meanwhile, no one thought up, you know what, we're going to write this script as a good example of what a healthy relationship should look like. We are just going to get people to show up in droves to buy the movie tickets, to buy the t-shirts, to buy all the memorabilia, and millions and millions of dollars later, I mean, we're sitting here thinking that this is a normal, we're told by the media that this is somehow normal and healthy. And like, no, no one ever intended it to be. We don't need to look to the media as what a healthy relationship should look like. And this is complicated, right? Because a lot of parents are not teaching their children what a relationship, a healthy relationship looks like. Perhaps they weren't modeled that. You know, um, I've mentioned this before, but between my husband and I, our four parents, like mom, dad on each side, have a total of nine divorces, <laughs> So neither of us have a great example of what a healthy marriage should look like. And I know that we're not the only ones in that boat. So, so where do we look? Where do we even find a healthy marriage? And it's normal to be like, oh, well, this show on TV, this movie, perhaps this is right because we don't know. Um, but again, I just want you to take a step back and say, movie makers, that was never their intention. That was never their intention to model what a healthy relationship looks like. Let me give you another example. Y'all, this is crazy. Okay. I'm so interested in this stuff, so I just like dive into it and learn all of the things. But in the 1970s, there was an extremely popular ad campaign. Actually, last I looked, it was still one of the top 10 most popular ad campaigns. But it was in the 1970s for a brand of coffee called Sanka Coffee, S-A-N-K. I just Googled it. You can still buy it. But essentially, it was one of the very first decaf coffee, so an alternative to caffeinated coffee. And so it was advertised as the healthier alternative. Well, Sanka Coffee was smart enough to hire Robert Young to be their celebrity endorsement. Now, many of your grandparents probably still remember this or know who Robert Young is. I had to Google all of this, but I remember learning about this because again, it was such a popular ad campaign. It was, it was studied, like how was this done so well? Anyway, Robert Young played a doctor on a very popular TV show. So a lot of people knew him as a doctor. So it made sense in Sanka Coffee's brain to hire Robert Young as this well-known doctor, at least he played one on TV, to represent this healthy alternative to Sanka Coffee. You guys, this was such a freaking big deal that if you look today, a lot of times at Waffle House or IHOP or anywhere where there's a decaf and a regular coffee side by side, oftentimes the decaf has an orange label still to this day because Sanka Coffee has its orange labeling. It's kind of known for being, the orange was like its color. This was such a successful ad campaign. To this day, we associate orange with decaf coffee. Here's the point in all of this. Robert Young, the real Robert Young, only had a high school diploma. He never went to med school, yet he played a doctor on TV, put on a lab coat, put the stethoscope around his neck, and endorsed Sanka Coffee, and it was such a successful ad campaign, we're still talking about it to this day. Here's another example. Mandy Moore endorses Garnier hair color. 
Okay, Mandy Moore is gorgeous. She has beautiful hair. She is on the commercials for Garnier Hair Color. Awesome. You guys, do we really think a beautiful Hollywood actress with bazillions of dollars at her disposal, with someone who probably comes in and does her hair and makeup on the regular, an esthetician, a built-in chef who gives her healthy food, a physical trainer, all of that stuff, do we really think she gets her hair dye at Walmart? <laughs> yes, I understand. And actually, this is only true in recent years that celebrities who do endorse said products have to use it for the commercial or whatever. But on the regular, do we really think Mandy Moore is using Garnier hair color? And there's tons of examples. I mean, JLo endorses L'Oreal lip gloss or whatever. Like, JLo, you are gorgeous. But I'm just saying, Think about all of the hired help she has, and she probably has plastic help and chemical peels, and I don't even know all the names of all the fancy things that the plastic surgeons are able to offer. Do we really think the secret to her beauty is a $7 tube of lip gloss? You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, and we do this all the time. I see it all the time in advertising and in marketing, and I'm not trying to say we're dumb, but clearly it's working. And my point in this podcast episode is to take a step back and think the people who are making this commercial, the people that are making this movie, they're not bad people. They're not trying to take advantage of you, but their goal is not to help you be a better person and to change your life. Their goal is to make money. There you have it. Our top five episodes since the Truth For Your 20s podcast began. You guys, I'm just so thankful for you. You know, podcasts don't have a comment section, right? So the only way I know what you like and what you want to hear of is, of course, the download numbers. And this sweet audience, I'm convinced we have the best audience ever. You guys take the time to reach out to me on DM. And it is so, it just means so much to me to hear that these episodes mean so much to you too. I started this podcast honestly having no idea what I'm doing, and now it is one of the favorite things that I get to do. So I'm so thankful to show up in your earbuds. I do not take this responsibility and this honor lightly. I take with great care everything we put out there. So I cannot wait to come back in August. I am behind the scenes recording some incredible episodes. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you got some truths for your 20s. I'm over here giving you a virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Would you help a sister out and take a screenshot right wherever you're listening and share it on your social? Give me a tag at Katie Bulmer Life so I can give you a big thank you. You sharing it, you leaving your reviews on iTunes is the best possible compliment you can give. Hey, let's continue to hang out. We have a private community called Truth For Your 20s over on Facebook. So just go to groups, search Truth For Your 20s and come join the party.